0: So Matthew chapter 9, verse uh, 35 through 38. This is uh, ESV here. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and, and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So I guess you can tell where I'm going with this. Pretty creative title here to the message. Pray pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We'll be creative with that there. It's very simple though, isn't it? This text, it, it is. I mean, we somebody could just stand up and say, pray for more laborers to be sent out in the Lord of the harvest. And we could maybe even just do that. But I think there is some unpacking to do here. Something to help us see it a little bit better in a greater light. You notice there in verse 36, I mean, we're all familiar with this passage. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I mean, can you imagine Christ? I mean, this really happened that uh, here's these masses of people and he, he looks out upon them. He's looking at them with his with those holy eyes. And he, and he looks at them and, and, f- and feels compassion. I mean, even in the NAS, some of you guys have that. It says that he felt compassion for them. So there's this inward compassion, this inward uh, heart's desire of Christ here. Yeah. Even in the King James, it says that he was moved with compassion. So you get this idea, this feeling of compassion uh, being moved with compassion—that was something in his in his soul. It wasn't a small thing. And actually, so the word compassion—it is just uh, an experience of great affection or compassion for someone. That this—he had a great affection for these people as he looked upon them. It's interesting that the same word here uh, used for compassion is actually the same word. As you look at the parable of the good Samaritan, when that person came down, uh, it says, you know, man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he ended up falling among the robbers. Right. And they they stripped him and they beat him and they departed and they left him for dead, basically. I mean, can you imagine this? And we know about the the Samaritan that as he passed by, Uh, Others passed by him, but as the Samaritan, when he saw this man, I mean, he would have been, you know, bloodied, stripped down, his things stolen, bruised, left for dead in a very helpless condition, that this uh, Samaritan looked upon him with compassion. He just felt this inward. And that is the same word here in our text. And it gives something of the idea, I think. And it probably is not that Christ had a lesser uh, you know, compassion than the Samaritan, but an even greater, even greater compassion. As he looked upon these lost people, he he looked upon them, and he describes, and it, in his heart, he sees them as harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He saw them as distressed in the NAS, or he could see that he could see that they fainted, right? That they were helpless, that they were downcast. They were like sheep without like sheep without a shepherd there is a physical reality to this that this literally was a mass of people i don't know if it was on the hillside or or in a plain or whatever but you know they, he were he was looking at these people they are probably scattered out following him coming to him something like that they literally are physically uh weighed down there is a you know king james says they were fainting you know but that Christ saw that as illustrative or descriptive, really, of the deeper spiritual condition of these people, right? He saw deeper than that. I think that's obvious from the text for what he would encourage them to pray in that, that having a desire for the physical needs, yes, but there's a deeper reality that he's getting at here, that he sees this picture more as an illustrative uh, of the real spiritual need that spiritually speaking harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd harassed beat down right just being being run over that sort of thing or downcast or or helpless you know just suppressed by all the sin and all the, being in the clutches of the devil I mean he could see these things like like sheep without a shepherd they're like sheep that have no guidance they're just wandering about in this in this world. And this is amazing when you think about it, when you realize that Christ knew how wicked people are. He knew about the wickedness of man. I mean, we know about in John that there was times that he would he would not entrust himself to people because he knew what was in man. He said he told parables and said, "If you being evil, know how to do give good gifts to your children right he knew that man was inherently evil the man was uh, desperate desperately wicked and certainly he even felt that you know in the holy soul of christ as he moved about this world having no sin seeing sin the grief that he felt you know if lot you know his righteous soul was vexed among all the abominations certainly christ even in an even greater way felt that but yet at the, So he was greed by sin. He hated sin. He knew, you know, all these things, the desperate depravity of man. And yet he still looks upon them as harassed and helpless and like sheep without a shepherd. That's pretty amazing. I mean, that shows something of uh, God's love, God's love for the lost. And we do want to be like, we do want to be like Christ in this. I mean it is an aspect of christ likeness for us to feel the same way when we look upon when we look upon lost people, that we would see them harassed and helpless uh, like sheep without a shepherd. And how many of us uh, you know there can be this tendency sometimes that when you do learn something about what the Bible teaches about man's wickedness, how bad it really is, and you see that played out in life. You know that man's thoughts are only evil continually. That there can be some kind of a distance that we could sometimes put in our heart towards the lost people, right? We kind of see them in their condition. We kind of, sometimes, it rightly grieves us. That's right. But yet there can be a distance there where there can be a lack of love and a lack of compassion. But not not so with Christ. The perfect balance there. And how many of us know that when he's looking at these people with compassion, it was not because these people must have been the elect, right? (laughs) Has anybody ever heard that? That when, you know, people say when they're trying to make sense of God's hatred for the wicked, which is true, angry with the wicked every day, and yet, you know, God's love and that sort of thing, they try to make sense of it, they'll go as as, as far as to say, that when Jesus looked at the, the rich young ruler and loved him, remember the rich young ruler, he came to him and he ended up turning his back on Christ because he was in love with other things, with his possessions it seems, that was his idol. And it says Christ looked at him and loved him. Yeah. People try to make sense of that and say, well, he must have been the elect because God does not love lost people. Like, I'm not, no one, I don't think anybody here believes that, but that's bad, right? Well, we all agree that, like, Christ, that is not right. He, they genuine, yes, he is angry with the wicked every day and a hatred for the wicked and all that, but you don't want to lose the sense that there is a deep compassion in the heart of Christ, more, more than you've ever known, well, you, we have known it in in, in measure, probably. You know, those times you can look at lost people and really see them in their helpless estate. That's only a real small measure of how Christ feels. And notice what he says. He goes on that here he's looking at these masses. He's looking at the loss and he feels his compassion in his heart. and And he turns to the disciples. It's interesting, right? That he doesn't immediately just lift up his hands and begin to address the Lord directly. Lord, do something about this. That he actually turns to the disciples. Can you imagine? They're standing right next to him probably and says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I mean that is interesting. I mean this whole this whole phrase is really I mean really interesting because he t- he looks at the masses of lost people and then he tells his disciples the harvest is plentiful. Yeah. That that is that is amazing. When you think about it, I mean, some translation, I mean, the Holman Christian Standard, if you consider that, I think it's a pretty good translation, actually says uh, the harvest is abundant, right? Or, you know, I was in some Hispanic-speaking places. I still had my you know, my Bible software, this uh, the Spanish up, and the one word probably among the 20 that I know in Spanish was the word for a lot. Right? it just translates like that in the Spanish that the harvest is a lot we're talking about a lot of things here plentiful if someone you know you guys probably know more about this than me I mean some of you if you're not you know some of you know farmers that sort of thing there's farms all around but if somebody was harvesting their their corn crop and you asked them you know how how's the corn crop doing how's the harvesting going and they said oh The harvest is plentiful this year. I mean, what would that conjure up in your mind? Or if it was like soybeans or something like that, you would think there's a lot of corn out there, right? That there's like some big, really big, ripe uh, ears of corn out there just ready ready for the picking, right? And that, I mean, that is the imagery here, what we're talking about. I mean, Christ, the harvest we know is the souls of men. Talking about people that will be saved. And Christ is saying that, Basically, that the fruit is hanging on the vine, ready to be picked. And it is big, and it is ripe, and it is plentiful. That's am- that's amazing when you think about it. Yeah. And we don't always see it like that, right? I mean, I think sometimes there can be a tendency among those people that believe in the sovereignty of God and know about God's election and know, know Scripture, uh, even about few there be that find it, that text, yes, that there can be uh going too far on the on the other side of a pessimism when you look at the world you basically think well you know you may be praying for a city and it's like well god you know there's billions of people there's millions of people in there and it's like well yeah god might save like three of them or something like that you know i, I that's not that's not right you know cuz he says the harvest is plentiful i think sometimes if we were to write it we might say well the harvest is scarce you know there's few there be that find it and yes, that text is true, right? I mean, but whatever we do with, the rea- I know that text, right, that says that uh, few there be that find it, the way is narrow, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many go thereby. But whatever you do with that text, you cannot override what Christ is saying here, right? That it still is the case that the harvest is plentiful, whatever it is, you know. And uh, we read about, And Christ had this kind of expectation in his mind, in the mind of Christ. I mean, this is Christ-like to feel this way, to look upon the masses of humanity, to look upon our own nation, to look upon the world and, and be like Christ and feel and believe. The harvest is plentiful. I mean, but the news won't tell you that. They won't give you that kind of perspective. You know, even looking at your own experience or maybe looking on the landscape of things in your own opinion may not give you that. But looking at Christ's words here, we do take it to know that it is a reality, that the harvest is plentiful. I mean, it says in glory that there is going to be a multitude that no one can number. I mean, that's a lot of people is going to be in glory. And even in the Old Testament times, You know, all of Nineveh came to Christ, you know, and that is in the Old Testament times. And for us to think that that, something like that's not going to happen in our day, in the day when Christ has already come, right? He used to speak by the prophets, but in his last days he's spoken by his son, and Christ has come and accomplished the work, and he's ascended, and he sent the Spirit. We're in this new covenant time, this age of the Spirit, the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of the Spirit, and to not think that it's going to be some big things like this happening. Now, you don't have to be a post-millennialist to believe that the harvest is plentiful, that everything's just going to get better and everybody, you know, that kind of thing. You don't have to take it like that, but you still can believe that God's going to do a lot, right? I mean, I remember listening. I think I was helped with this in a way just with Brother Paul Washer, listening to that sermon by him called uh, Importunity in Prayer. And it's basically a a sermon on intercession. And he's, you know, the passionate man that he is. He said, like, God has not told me that he cannot see all of India bow the knee to Christ in his lifetime. And that really kind of sent me thinking, like, wow, like, he is really praying that. You know, that all of India would bow the knee to Christ. I mean, why not? I mean, why not all the, all the cartel in Mexico come to Christ? You know, like God can do things like that. The harvest, the harvest is plentiful. And it's interesting that, you know, it's interesting that he would say this, and he doesn't say that the problem is the harvest. It's not that the harvest is scarce. That's not the problem. He says the harvest is plentiful. Many souls ripe for the picking. The issue is the problem Christ is addressing here that we would deal with through prayer is simply the labors are few. You got this big miles and miles of corn ha- ready to be harvested. The only issue is that they just need some laborers to go out there and pick it. right? And Christ is saying that. The labors are the labors are few. He get, he gives them a remedy, right? Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the Harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And notice notice what he doesn't say. He remember he's looking out at these masses, move with compassion, seeing that the harvest is plentiful. He turns to his disciples. That's something that he does. But what does he not do? One thing that he doesn't do is that he doesn't tell them, well, you know, God is sovereign, and therefore, you know, let's just rest in God's sovereignty on this. He he doesn't say that. He gives them an encouragement. He says, in other words, there's something that can be done about it. There's something that you can do, disciples. And I think that, you know, he's saying that to us today, that there's something that can be done, and it's simply this, to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into into that harvest, to send out men and women and boys and girls that will go and reap the harvest of souls, right? Through the preaching of the gospel, through sacrificial living, whatever it may be, that God's going to bring in people to raise up, He's and He's going to do that by raising up laborers and sending them to them. You may ask, well, what is meant exactly by laborers? Typically, when we think about this, we think what? Like, missionaries, um preachers, things like that, certainly we should think that right we need i mean we need more preachers we need more missionaries i mean there's many there are many places in the world that just literally sit in darkness, you know, and we need more laborers for that, but I don't think you want to completely limit it only to preachers and only to missionaries. I think you can take it as far as anyone. Any believer that would be used in simply bringing a soul into the kingdom. I mean, that laborers in that way. So it has a very broad spectrum. It's not just people out there overseas that we need that, but it's laborers in our own in our own city, laborers in our own in our own nation. And we and we desperately need uh, more laborers. And this is interesting that you know bef- I have some applications here. But before I get into those, I just wanted to maybe step step back and just kind of behold Christ from this text. You know, we talk about being Christ-like. We want to gaze at Christ, how He was. And what do we see about Christ from this text? We see that, we see His deep compassion for lost people. And we also see it, we see His burden right we see that he uh, uh, his prayerfulness for the advance the advancement of the kingdom and and we see that his zeal for the advancement of the kingdom in in the in the soul of Christ burned with a passion to see see the harvest come in to see the harvest be brought in and that's one aspect of our christian life and it's not the only aspect i mean there are other things right that we are to be focused on But it is a big thing, though, isn't it? This burden to see the advancement of the kingdom. We want to gaze at Christ in that way. So what I have here and the the remaining of the message is just some some applications to this text. I mean, here's one very simply. How do we respond in the sense of praying for more laborers? It's this. Look at the crowds and look at the multitudes. With compassion and pray. Yeah. Simply that. You know, look at them. I mean, and it's interesting that Christ, in this text, in this text, that Christ's motivation to pray for laborers is actually uh, the love for man. That is very interesting. Because, And we need to be careful that in all of our, you know, thinking about God doing all things for his own glory, for his own name that he does it, and then we realize that. And then we've heard a very man-centered gospel. We've heard a very man-centered everything, right? And it just kind of rubs you the wrong way, I understand. And to where we overreact to the other side, to where we think that it's basically not about man at all or anything like that. I mean, Christ, when he is, uh, his motivation here, yes, was the glory of God. Everything that he prayed. Well, he taught his own disciples to pray it. Hallowed be your name. He's praying that God's name would be made great in the world. That's that's the heartbeat behind this. But yet love for man is wrapped up in that, right? And it's right for us to be even motivated to pray simply by the love for man. Yes, rooted in the glory of God, with a passion for the glory of God, but glory of God in the salvation of, of men, doing things for them. That's interesting. And... So look at the crowds, look at them. Look at the you know look at the nations. Be be aware. Look at the map from time to time, and and think about these things. Look at our own city, and don't and don't just just don't think that there's nothing that can be done. I mean, sometimes sometimes you can look at the vast lostness that's in the world, and you can feel very overwhelmed by that. And sometimes it can be good if it's leading to prayer and to where it's like Lord look at all this, like do something. It leads you to prayer for God to do do that. But there can be an over going too much that way where you're so burdened or you so feel so like impossible, the whole thing feels so impossible that you don't do anything and it's just you're paralyzed by that. And that's not a, that's not a good thing. But notice though in this text that Christ is saying there's something that can be done about it. You can do something. Like, we can do something to have an impact on the eternity and the souls of people. And realize what he says, too, how simple it is. I mean, do you ever just think about that? Like, all I have to do is just ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field? And what's implied in this text is that he's going to do it. I mean, that's what a privilege that the Lord has given it. Simply just pray, right? Pray and ask the Lord of the harvest and he's going to do it. Now this isn't this isn't doing away with uh evangelism or anything like that the need to preach. I mean, we see even in verse 35 Christ is proclaiming later here in chapter 10 he's going to send out uh his disciples to go and preach. That is that is a means, yes. But there is this other means as well, right? That is just simply earnest prayer for God to send out laborers into His harvest field. and How easy it is. Have you ever thought about it? That you can, be, you can be at your house with a cup of coffee, in your flannel pajama pants, doing your devotion or whatever, and praying to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest field, and you can go all around the world and back again. You can go places that you cannot go because you cannot get it off work or whatever. Just pray for Mongolia or whatever. Pray for our own nation. I mean, you can do much just in that place of prayer, just in earnest prayer to the Lord of the harvest, it is a way to be used. It is a way to be, to pour yourself out for the sake of this harvest to be brought in. It's It's amazing how easy it is, really. But we need to realize how easy it is. And this is a real weapon. This is a real mighty weapon in our hands that God has invited us into. But we also need to remember this that if we're going to seek to pray for the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest field, that it is true that the enemy will try to hinder you from praying that, from praying and asking that, but also he's going to try to hinder you even while you're praying about that at times. He does not want us to ask the Lord of the harvest, because you know what happens when we ask the Lord of the harvest? He does it. He sends out laborers into his harvest field, And the harvest is brought in, souls come into the kingdom, churches are planted, these types of things. And he wants to try to all different types of way to get you from doing that. He doesn't want you to believe it. I mean, that's a big thing. And maybe we shouldn't blame the devil in some sense. Maybe blame ourselves in that maybe we can just believe this text more, right? As far as like, take it, I believe, I'm going to go with faith. But the devil doesn't want you to believe that. Even as you're praying about these things, he can get you looking at yourself. He can get you thinking, well, you're not really burdened to pray about this. That's not going to do any good. Or he said earnest in that text. You're not really earnest. Look, you're distracted while you're praying about all these things. You're burdened down. That's that's not prayer acceptable to the Lord. Things like that. Just press on through that. Don't worry about it. Remember that our prayers are powerful. Though they're weak, they're feeble, we're all distracted, we're all over the place... We could sit around all day and talk about how we don't feel the way that we should feel, and you know, and that doesn't really do any good for anybody, or we could just pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors and trust God that our prayers, through the hand of like one brother said, through the hand of our mighty intercessor, really are powerful through God don't look at you, don't look at your burden too much. Don't look if I'm being led too much. Just pray to the Lord of the Harvest to send out laborers. And just practically speaking, realize too that to pray for the Lord of the Harvest to send out laborers, you don't have to have this perfect spot or this perfect life situation to really just come. You know, the kid, the kids are just everybody's just hushed and everybody, everything's just so good. You know, you know, and you got classical music on the back in on the background and all this. <laughs> You know, it's not like that. I mean, this, you can pray in real life situations, right? You can pray it at the dinner table for God to send out laborers into his harvest field. Make that prayer for the food more than just, you know, thanks for the meat and bless it from my head to my feet and all this. You know, pray for the Lord of the harvest, you know, to send out laborers into his harvest field. I mean, you can do that even when the little baby's crying in the background. Right, I mean, to God, though you may be distracted, and that throws you off, I understand. But yet, God hears that prayer, right? It's not just that only when you're in your prayer closet, only when you're in your secret place of prayer. As you're walking about your day, you're driving to work, you're going to the restroom at work, your mind's taking off your work for a moment, lifting up a prayer to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. God's going to honor that. It doesn't have to be a special Situation, and you mothers can pray it with their children. I mean, what what an influence as well, just upon them to help your kids think about others, think about God's global purposes, but also what a way to be used too. You know, pray it with your, in the family devotions, and brethren, as we're praying for more labors to be sent out, we can pray big. We can pray big, Hudson Taylor. Tim one time said in a message, Hudson Taylor was praying for a thousand missionaries uh, to be sent out. You know what? To China, and God gave them a thousand missionaries. Think about that—a thousand people. What? How much work did they do for Christ over there in China? Pray big, right? You say, well, that's Hudson Taylor. It's like that's really not biblical perspective, is it? Because when you look at man. You need to remember, like it says over there in James, he was just a man like ourselves. It wasn't it wasn't Hudson Taylor. It was him, his feeble little prayer in the hands of Christ that did that. Pray big, right? Pray pray for pray for these places in the world without the gospel. Pray for our own nation. You don't have to be somebody great to be used in this way. Do you realize that even a five-year-old believer that you tell him about this? a 5 year old believer he's a true believer and he prays god send some send somebody to mongolia wouldn't it don't you know god's going to use that prayer and use that lord you don't have to be something great to be able to use in that way and realize as well brethren that it's easy for the lord to raise up laborers it's no thing for god to make men it's no thing for god to raise up men and women and boys and girls to be able to be useful into the harvest field. We're not talking about some great saints or whatever thing like that. We're talking about God raising up normal people just like you and I to be able to bring in bring in the harvest. And as we pray, we need to pray knowing that our labor is not in vain. You see that you see that implied in the text that Christ is implying when you pray the Lord of the harvest, it's going to happen. God's God's going to do it. And we know God always does things far abundantly more than we could ask or think. If you could just see in your own life how much God has actually used you in praying this, I mean, you, I mean, you would be very happy. You, you may not believe it, actually. God is like that. You know, we were praying uh, in the, down there in San Antonio. We were praying for a, a place, Lucknow is like a place in India, that um, I think at that time the brother from East Asia was going over there to preach. We're praying for luck now. They call it the missionary graveyard. Missionaries go there, they they die, there's not much fruit, that sort of thing. We're praying for it, praying for it. I know I personally felt like I really wanted to pray for it. And you know what, some weeks later, months later or something, this brother, this missionary, getting ready to go to the mission field, comes, comes and visit our church. He was visiting different churches, kind of wanting to get encouragement before he went out to the field. And you know where that brother was going? He was on his way to Lucknow. I mean, he was going, and it was just like, for me, it was just like, the Lord was just saying, hey, this is the tip of the iceberg. When you're praying for laborers, like, I'm just showing you a little bit. A lot of it I'm going to reserve until the last day. You're not going to see it. I'm just showing you, like, a little bit. Like, that brother two years before had been burdened uh, about Lucknow, but our prayers were part of the means of sending him forth, thrusting him out to that place. It's ne- it's never in vain. And praying, remembering that the harvest is plentiful. It would encourage you to pray when you realize it's plentiful. That There's a lot of people that God's going to save. It's going to encourage you. And the other the other side is not going to encourage you very much if you think it's only just going to be a couple, right? You want to have in your mind a plentiful harvest. And just these last two real quick. Just pray, uh, remembering remembering the privilege of it all, that Christ did not need to look to his disciples and invite them in on this thing. He did not need to do that. God is self-sufficient. He does not need us in the fulfillment of the Great Commission and the fulfillment in the end gathering of the harvest. He does not need us. But yet he is delighted to use some people like us Weak people with our weak prayers and the advancement of the kingdom of Christ. It's just, there's a sense of privilege, right? That God would use us. That he would not only save us and, you know, bring us out of darkness, out of the clutches of the devil and all that, and save us, give us the hope of heaven, give us this, relation, this wonderful relationship with Christ, but yet he would actually use us in the doing that for others. I mean, that is a privilege. And I think the best way to see this text is just to see it as an invitation. You know, you could stand up here and make everybody feel really guilty and myself feel guilty, like, oh, you don't pray this like you should, or, you know, like, you're not burdened like you should about this. You need to do this and make it feel like some law or something. And that's not the right way to look at this text. I mean, we never probably pray like we should, right? But we just want to see this. Don't come away from this discouraged at all. See this text. about. Don't be discouraged about how you haven't prayed or whatever. But just see this text as an invitation of Christ saying, I want to use you in this. There's something that can be done about this vast darkness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. So, it's an invitation. Let's pray together. Father, I just pray that You'd help us, grip us with this text. Lord, that You would, Lord, send out laborers into Your harvest field throughout all the world. Lord, help us to embark on our great privilege. Lord, I... Lord, help us to believe this text. Help me, Lord, Lord, to see this, Lord, and we'll be used in this way. Use us in this way for eternity, Lord. I pray you help us to understand all this rightly. Lord, give us grace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.